everyone, welcome to Cancria, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. And my name is Sebastian, and I have COVID. <laughs> yep, yep. So we are recording this uh, socially distanced via uh -huh. completely separate houses uh, to uh, you know make sure we get the show out to, to everyone. And uh, we also socially distanced watched mm -hmm. uh, Eurovision yesterday, so we will be diving into that very mm -hmm. soon uh, as well. But before we get to that, I wanted to share with you um, some utterly fantastically hilarious news. And that is that a grand theft has been solved. <gasps> is yes. it 100,000 liters of maple syrup? No, not that uh, grand theft. Uh, but if you were trying to figure it out, all you need to do is close your eyes, tap your heels three times. Okay. And think of what was stolen. Did, did somebody steal uh, Judy Garland's shoes from the, the shoe museum? Somebody did. Yes. In 2005. <laughs> A somebody stole Judy Garland's shoes from the from the from the museum. It was a travesty. Um, anyway, they got recovered, <laughs> so it was. Uh, oh. They found them in 2018. Now, if you remember correctly, we joked about the fact that they were stolen uh, in and then discovered in 2018. Mm -hmm. Well, anyway, I don't know if you recall, but back in 2018, where they recovered the pilfered shoes. They didn't. Uh, there was there were no arrests. That nobody was uh, sent uh, sent to prison for it. Mm -hmm. Well, that is until just last week, where a local seventy six year old man uh -huh. has now been arrested for <laughs> effectively stealing because he did. They were stolen for many years. Uh, uh -huh. The ruby slippers from the Wizard of Oz. Uh, from the from the museum at uh, Grand Rapids, Minnesota. So yeah, he was uh, he was arrested. Was this now four or five years after the shoes were recovered, mm -hmm. and almost twenty years after the crime uh, took place itself? And why why did does it say why it took so long, or is it just hard to get evidence together or hard to to make a case? I think they were working on this case and other pieces of art that were. Uh, stolen uh, for quite a while uh, he was uh, summoned just recently uh, apparently he refused to speak to the media saying i have to get to court and that was his only comment so i'm like you know what that's that's a fair, fair enough comment. guy is propped on time got a lot of respect for that yeah absolutely now did you know are you are you uh keeping up with the who are we? Uh, who do we boycott this week? Uh, outrage. Uh, well, if it has anything to f to do with food, uh, I may have to ignore it because, as you know, everything tastes like either hairspray, soap, or rotting fish to me right now. There's a few things like bananas that just taste like bananas. Uh, what else have I? Yeah, last night I discovered the first thing that tastes better now that I have COVID mouth is uh, alcoholic apple cider. Tastes twice as good now. Um, nice. pizza just tastes like pizza. So you better bet it's pizza time for the next couple of weeks. But, uh, I don't know. What's the latest boycott? So apparently people were outraged that the new pride collection released by Adidas, mm 
mm-hmm. uh, including a uh, their Let Love Be Your Legacy collection, uh, which is okay. released on their website, features a large number of models wearing a whole range of different pieces of clothing, some of which are unisex, some of which are not. Mm-hmm. And people are outraged for what appears to be a man is wearing a um, unitard type uh, swimwear that you would take okay. a bikini, not a bikini, the other one. A that one you piece? would often see on uh sorry, what? A one piece? That's the one. That's the one I was looking for. I was like, there is a phrase for it. You can tell I'm a gay man. Forgot what a one piece was called. Gay man um, doesn't know what an article of women's clothing is called. Another man knows exactly what it is immediately. Yes. They exactly. kind of both check out, but yeah. So anyway, um, there is what is, by outrage, what appears to be a man is wearing a one piece. And now mm-hmm. we are collectively urged to boycott Adidas. Now what Adidas and anyone with two eyeballs have also pointed out is that the one piece is also on what evidently appears to be a woman mm-hmm. also on their website. So mm-hmm. it is, <laughs> they are, they're just promoting people wearing their clothes. Right. So I think, let me just check my notes here. Um, clothing company urges people to wear clothes by putting clothes on people. Mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. we've captured it. I think mm-hmm. that was the gist of outraged customers. Yeah, yeah, I've got it. Well, also bear in mind that in many parts of Europe, like we don't really have this association in North America, uh, but in parts of Europe, articles of clothing are associated with street and gang culture. So hoodies. Like just calling just calling somebody a hoodie is a slang term that means that they are a low level crime member, a, a, a petty criminal in parts of England. And I know that in Northern Europe and uh, Eastern Europe, um, Adidas has this association with, you know, chav culture and street culture. So it has and it, it was appropriated, I guess you could say not appropriated. It was developed over time. Adidas never pushed that. It was just, you know, street culture kind of. Uh, uh, developed its own association with with the tracksuits. So it's kind of like they they already have their own internal uh, symbolism with uh, masculinity and uh, the 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 tracksuit that I, I might be reading into too much, but I know it's a thing. It is a thing. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, the, the boycott is probably not going to go too far, though, because those three stripes are iconic. And if you're going to you know, if you're the sort of person to pay 200 bucks for an Adidas tracksuit, you're going to pay your 200 bucks for that Adidas tracksuit. You're not going to. Well, that's exactly a lot of people yeah. are like, look, if someone's paying $70 for a pride swimsuit. Yeah. The fact that there is a photo with what maybe a man, maybe, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, wearing it, I don't think that's going to put me off of my purchasing decision. Yeah, you know what I mean. Clothing company tries to sell clothes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we need to be less shocked by these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I don't know. It, it, it that's it. Dot dot dot. It is what it is. People, uh, it's it's harder than one ad campaign to break a culture's love of something. So. You know, the, the association in hip-hop culture with, like, Jordans, for example, uh, that might be a bit dated, but still, uh, you know, the, the association with certain shoes, it's it's part of it, you know? It's going to take more than one ad campaign to, to break that. It's going to take quite some time. Actually, they, they ran into that a couple of years ago where they people tried to boycott 
some shoe company Reebok or, or something. I can't remember, but everyone was like, yeah, they're on sale now. Great. Like it, it didn't really work. Absolutely. So we watched, along with many others, actually, it, I'll, I won't tell you this much, Eurovision mm -hmm. was the most watched Eurovision in, I think, its entire broadcast history. Ooh. The number of people uh, who watched this one is more than any of the other ones. To That's be honest, as far, we hope that if this is of interest to you, that you go back and watch it. But uh, if not, we'll give you a glorious recap in the way that only we can. Okay. Um... Um, and... Honestly, if you're looking to spend your time, you've got four hours to kill, Who, because everyone has that. Um, mm -hmm. I'd recommend 2016. I don't know. It's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. was okay. It was very middle of the road for a Eurovision. Very middle of the road. And you don't really need four hours. You need three hours. You need two hours to watch all the, the music. Skip hour three. And then hour four is when the exciting uh, judges start rolling in. Um, when the, when the points, when the, when the P's start getting counted up, uh, because there's always that one upset when they, when they start counting the audience vote where there's somebody at the bottom and then they get 379 points or whatever from the viewing public and they just shoot up and win. So that, that kind of thing that can happen. That's probably yeah. the most exciting part. The, the first half is the music competition. Yeah. Yeah. The, the points half is the competition between the jury and everyone else. And everyone else. <laughs> you know, it's the it really is the national juries versus yeah uh, everyone with a cell phone. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, that's how it uh, that's how it breaks down. Well, look, we had a fantastic time watching some of it. Mm -hmm. Um, I was amused, like every Eurovision, there are some iconic things mm -hmm. that are consistent. Mm -hmm. Uh the tiny 40-second montages mm -hmm. is uh, you you know definitely you're always going to get them because they need time to change the stage. So music yeah, yeah. they perform, and then there's a forty second montage of just you know it's almost like a picture slideshow, and then you're into the next performance. Usually, beautiful crane shots are these days swooping drone, drone shot. shots of you know a, a castle in Croatia, a river in. Uh, uh, Moldova, you know, a, a public park in Germany. It's always these beautiful shots of the the beautiful parts of the country. Never the garbage dump, you know, or or a, a well, it was you see oil that, it was getting there. I think they, they were stretching <laughs> with this one, so it would work off with a start off with a beautiful uh, aerial drone shot of some location in Turkey. You have mm. to guess what the category is. Is the category bridges, mm. libraries, a pond? Uh, there's maze mazes was one of the rooftops was a whole category okay <laughs> the, the rooftop one that was definitely my favorite uh, and then it would show a rooftop in ukraine a rooftop in london mm. and then a rooftop in oh sorry in liverpool and then the rooftop somewhere whatever the country is that's competing. i think it was greece I, they did the rooftops sorry i think it was greece They're, they are known for having big beautiful blue roofs though Oh, yeah. my favorite one was the amphitheaters, and then it was like Israel. <laughs> there was that cool one in Cornwall. I didn't know that existed. It was like right built into the ocean. It was fantastic. Exactly. Well, yeah, but anyway. So, what what about these montages? Well, I don't know. I just I I they felt a little contrived. They very much felt like they were designed by an advertising agency. At the end of it, I'm like, am I is this where I buy travel insurance or an mm -hmm. umbrella? 
Like it's telling me to do something with a yellow umbrella. I'm just I'm 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 close. They were they were very good nondescript ads for you know bridges and rooftops. The good ones, yeah. Well, I mean, the reason why countries pay into this, why national broadcasters pay into this, because it is advertising for travel. So that is their their little spot to do travel. But there's a few of them, like Italy, where they really focused really hard on, like, look at us, we have an attractive singer. And you're like, yeah, but you're Italy. Like, show us cool pictures of Rome. And it's like, nope, here's more pictures of the guy who's going to sing. Uh, not a fan of Italy. Uh, I think Jess put it best as Italian James Blunt. Uh -huh. I think that was uh, how she captured uh, that particular performance. Every year, at least one country tries for the overdramatic ballad, and occasionally they win. Um, but yeah, this year it was Italy's you know, turn. There was a lot more this year of countries being like, I'm Czech. I'm going to just speak in, in Czech and, you know, Mm -hmm. My audience will understand it. You can choose to whether or not you want to understand it. That's like, the Portuguese was saucy. It was yeah. spicy. It was unapologetically Portuguese. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, that one, I think, had uh, the. It, it was fantastic, and then I think that dovetailed beautifully to Spain. Yes, where you thought it was Alexandria. Ocasio Cortez potentially. Uh, no, <laughs> somebody else. No, what I liked about Spain. Okay, so the thing that I like about Eurovision is exactly what you're talking about. When countries mix their own ethnic sounds in with modern pop music, that's one of the reasons why Georgia and Azerbaijan are actually often my favorite acts of the year because they do really interesting stuff with melodies. This year, I really like Spain because it sounded like experimental future flamenco. And uh, there was just something about it that really appealed to me. It was a really interesting musical sound. They scored really poorly, but from a musical point of view, I thought it was probably the most interesting thing all year. It really caught my ear as being something weird and different. Well, we're going to jump into that. We're going to jump into Blanco Palauma, uh, which was the Spanish entry. I have here in my notes from yesterday... High concept experimental flamenco. And I think you summed that up beautifully as well. Yes. <laughs> All right, we will be back just after this. Ay, ven a mí, niño mío. 
Welcome back to Can Queer, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. And I'm Sebastian. And we just earlier, you had Blanco Palomas, uh, EAF from Spain. That was the high concept experimental flamenco, I believe. But following that was not actually a Eurovision entry by any of the artists. Mm-hmm. Um, what I was going to kind of take the conversation now is to how the Eurovision tried to balance the Ukraine, the Liverpool hosts, 
and uh, it's the fact that it's Eurovision into yeah. one cohesive thing. So I've played you Spin Me Round like a record, the Netta cover, and mm -hmm. Netta uh, Israeli uh, winner of mm -hmm. Eurovision, um, fantastic musician, but uh, they did this for a few different ones. There were a few different uh, classic songs out of Liverpool mm -hmm. that had Eurovision covers. I think it was uh, you, Ima you Imagine turn by Looking Back, I Turn to You. Yep, by Mel C. Uh, Imagine Absolutely. by John Lennon. Um, they they did little musical stings here and there to famous uh, British groups. Like they did I thought little... I heard Ace of Base at one point. No, no, no. There's just a band that sounded exactly like Ace of Base who forgot that Ace, Ace of Base is Swedish. Um, yeah, no, no, no. Uh, there's a band called Sex Express that they they played. Uh, they also had um, Blur. Uh, they played Blur uh, and Chemical Brothers and the Eurythmics. Uh, and they also it made was a reference. The That's what it was. They yeah. made a reference to Eric Clapton's Layla at one point in time as well. So it, for me, the most frustrating thing is that uh, I, I would say that somewhere between 10 and 20 percent of the 20th century's best music comes out of England. You know, you got yourself the Beatles, you got Eric Clapton, you've got Radiohead, you've got all these wonderful, wonderful, open-minded, experimental musicians pushing things forward. David Bowie, for example, Mick Jagger. And uh, and then you see what England sends to Eurovision and you're just like, what are you doing? Yeah. It is so bizarre. And, and Eurovision was just loaded with all these reminders of better musicians after years of people saying, just send Adele. Just send well, Adele. I think this was a almost like a Eurovision by colors, like by numbers. It was just didn't quite add that. It didn't have the spontaneity and creativity that I think allows Eurovision to to succeed so well. Yeah, it you know, didn't have some that of magic. the the canned bits yeah. felt very mechanical and, and mm -hmm. jokes were just not landing. Mm -hmm. You know, and it was it was a little contrived at some points, mm -hmm. but Hannah Waddingham did a fantastic job. I thought she was fabulous. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know. And I felt like the this particular Eurovision was like, okay, we need to have a an incredible Ukrainian music montage for you know seven minutes, and then we yeah. must do something Liverpool related for seven minutes, and then we need mm -hmm. to do something else. And it's you know, it just felt much like. Uh, it was designed by a very large committee. That seemed to be the sense I was getting from it. What about well, you? I mean, it was developed largely by the BBC, so it. it... So, like I said, designed by a large committee. <laughs> yeah. It was lacking some of the soul and creativity that you'd hope to see in what is the campus music competition on the planet. You know, yeah. like there's a certain degree of queerness that needs to happen there. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, another way of putting it is that there was the creative person in the room and then the 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 committee took their creative ideas and uh, did not do a good job of applying them. No. Well, there was there was different things came up. Like we we saw news reports that the gay village in Liverpool has not only had a massive post pandemic recovery because of Eurovision going there. Mm. But the tourism on either side of those 
you know that that conference that uh, large music event uh, has done wonders as well. Mm. Like it's really sort of raised the profile, put it more on the map as a uh, queer cultural space. Mm-hmm. So this is good for Liverpool's LGBTQ uh, residents and businesses. We also so saw that the opposite effect of the Olympics, basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then we also saw that uh, in Liverpool they had, I think it was Nelson, giant, giant statue of Nelson, mm-hmm. and they sandbagged it. They covered it with sandbags uh, in the same way that a lot of the major monuments in the Ukraine are sandbagged. Oh. So as people are there for the for the Eurovision, some of these major landmarks in Liverpool are dressed in a way to kind of draw that connection with the Ukraine. So I I thought, you know, and that's something that you're not going to see on the Eurovision, but I thought it was a really respectful way of um, thinking about the people who are physically there. Symbolism. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, geez. All right. Well, let's uh, keep going, shall we? So definitely a lot of really interesting music choices. Uh, there were a few that just sound like oh, a travel sequence in the Disney movie. Mm-hmm. There was definitely a couple that fit that bill. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Travel montage, yes. classic go-to, uh, you know. There was also place. your annual confused act. Like there was one group that was like, what was it? It was like sci-fi, anime uh boy band it, it was vampire kind of this weird I, I think it was croatia it was just this weird confused mash of of visual non cues failing to go together and germany as well which germany oh, had that... and glitter they did the worst i love that song but mm-hmm. yeah they had five points they did terribly yeah so... yeah yeah yeah, the the only note I had from Germany was somebody in the room said "Poor Toronto" because I had inflicted this song on them. Like mm-hmm. they were they were terrified on behalf of our audience. Uh, well, these things happen. But one of the things that I think is what makes Eurovision is the really campy solutions, and we've got two songs lined up coming uh-huh. up next. The first is who the hell is Edgar, who is the Austrian uh, Austria submission to uh-huh. Eurovision, and then we are following that with Finland's Cha Cha Cha, yes, uh, so the Finnish submission to Eurovision. Now I think, I think who the hell is Edgar is going to be one of those earworms that mm. stick with you, the way that Maneskin didn't necessarily oh they did win but they really got a lot of success from some of their other earworms but mm-hmm. i don't know what what do you think of who the hell is edgar and the cha-cha-cha well cha-cha-cha was the audience favorite uh you could see the hosts were visibly upset by the fact that the audience kept cheering cha-cha-cha cha-cha-cha and it was they they had by far the largest audience vote and it was a landslide in terms of who the audience liked best. It was just confusing and goofy. And it was, was it pop music? Was it heavy metal? What what was it? It was just this confused musical mess. But the guy who was singing was so sincere and having so much fun that you were on board with it. Absolutely. I definitely well, recommend everybody look up Cha 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 because it's just so 
weird. And I honestly, it was the the authenticity and sincerity of the performance of just these people love being here and they're having a great time and they're taking you down with them. And I think well, I, I think that's the that's the number one thing that really made them flourish. What I've got here in my notes is it's giving 90s Europe, very okay. 90s Europe. Okay. And also it's giving Eurovision. You yeah. know what I mean? It's, it is Cha 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 was this year's peak Eurovision, Eurovision song. Yes. And you can't, how do you distill what is a Eurovision, Eurovision song? It has mm. a certain je ne sais quoi. It's campy. It's over the top. Mm-hmm. It's musically interesting. Um, and it's not what everyone would like it to be. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's that I think is you know how you would spin it into a bottle. Anyway, this is who the hell is Edgar uh-huh. by Taya and Selena. Uh, Selena, sorry. And then we are following that off with Karasha's Cha Cha Cha, the Finnish entry to Eurovision this year. Oh my God, you're such a good writer. Oh, it's not me. It's Paljon pitkiä päiviä takan. 
mielenkiintoinen pinakolada ja rata. Ilta on vielä nuori ja aikaa kumota. Tää jäinen tukokuori on aika tuhota. Pidän kaksi käsi kiinni juomista niinku... Welcome back to Can Queer, home of Kansas Queer Media. My name is Luke Smith. And I'm Sebastian. And that was Who the Hell is Edgar? Followed by Cha Cha Cha, the entry that the people of Europe and the rest of the world believed should win Eurovision. Mm-hmm. And they came, what, 60, 70 points short? Yes. Yeah. So they did not win. Poor spoilers. We will be yeah. playing the winner at the end of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So yeah, that was uh, that was uh, they were great songs, but I think they really captured that Eurovisioningness of it all. I, I think always... the peak Eurovision moment for me though was, and this this is obviously not a radio thing, but uh, in the stage performance, they had a dance move in Cha 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 that could best be described as Human Centipede. Oh yes, 
and what in the human centipede written down in my notes <laughs> it was uh it was special that's what that was i uh, uh but i still encourage people to watch it even though it was kind of weirdly disturbing the whole performance was weirdly disturbing and also in neon green like it, the whole thing was just you know, it, it's fine i mean it's fine some of the notes i i took yesterday was uh they're really quite something uh sauna ferris wheel not sentences you would expect to hear. Uh, Jonathan Van Ness does the Eurovision. That's when we saw Australia. We were like, yes, no, that makes sense. <laughs> that's, mm -hmm. uh, that's the vibe. Um, and then I think I heard someone say a twink turning 45, which is yeah. uh, Belgium. Yeah, um, yeah. And then I think there was one for Slovenia, which was giving 70s like seven zeros uh sex appeal french house base i might be pregnant uh followed by harvey harry styles doing the muse franz ferdinand all the killers mm. harry styles doing the killers i think that summed it up quite well actually as the uh that performance i thought i liked uh to me australia sounded like uh what slovenia if, what if duran duran but also journey um yes that yeah. is very australian yes no, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah and it was it was fun because both duran duran and journey are a little bit too much but they kind of like tempered each other and it was fun uh and i i encourage and, and there was a guitar so i i strongly encourage people to look up australia as well to see that <laughs> uh, anyway yes so i wanted to give um, a little bit of context on some international news stories that have been coming out. Right. We we have talked a lot about um, the various bills being acted in the United States and, you know, effectively banning the performances of drag um, and how some of them aren't necessarily explicit. And we had raised the idea of self-policing and unintended consequences before. Mm -hmm. Now, Texas doesn't have the drag ban in place that Tennessee has mm -hmm. or that Florida has, but it's looking into it. Mm -hmm. But already, the only lesbian bar in Houston has been told by the bar owners, the building owners, that the insurance company isn't going to insure that space if there's drag performances. Oh, that's okay. You know what that's I mean? Weird, and this yeah. is this is the trickle-down impacts. You know, they're like, oh, you know, but, you know, we're talking about where children and the public and where these two things mingle. Well, it's much easier for insurance companies and business, you know, property owners to say, I'd rather just not get involved. Mm. And now queer spaces are being shuttered and closed um, because they can't get insurance. They mm -hmm. can't get reasonable rent rates. They can't get... Uh, you know, the same kind of access that other businesses have. Um, and that silencing effect is not just in the insurance world. Wilton Manor's Florida issued guidance to all of their um, city permits, uh, including the city permit for Wilton Manor's Florida Pride, uh, telling them that they need to accommodate the current ban on drag performances. Okay. 
Um, and I believe that Tampa Bay as well has also issued updated guidance, effectively banning drag from their pride uh, activities. Um, it's a combination of third party actors overreacting mm -hmm. and also self-policing happening mm -hmm. to an extreme extent. And, you know, some of these bans are, are barely new. They're definitely not being enforced but I think we're already starting to see the consequences of it. It's really weird. Like you have to go on a state by state level if you're talking about these, because some of them are pretty explicit, like uh, quite a few of the supposed anti-drag laws never once use the word drag. So I think it's uh, Tennessee has a new law about um public performances of a lewd nature that can't be in front of children and basically the idea is that if you have a family-friendly drag act you have a drag act where nobody humps anything nobody twerks nobody pulls out fake boobs nobody makes lewd jokes nobody does anything like that then it's perfectly fine um but the, the it's more a ban on non uh, uh, of adult materials being displayed in public spaces where children can see them. So, I mean, it, it depends on what state you're talking about. I believe Florida's has to do with, with children being able to see it as well. So if you had some kind of an event behind curtain walls of some variety, then you could do a pride event with drag, but it, it's just everything about it is so confusing because two things first of all every state is very different from another and the second thing is that the way it's being reported sometimes is kind of dishonest like i've actually some of the laws when you actually read the phrasing yourself you're like oh this is worse than they say it is and quite often when you read them as well it's like well this is just basically saying don't do nudie stuff in front of children and i'm kind but of on board this with that. is but this is my point you know the there was no necessity for this law and what it's having is a thoroughly chilling effect. Like the rule mm -hmm. that you're referring to is it is a ban on drag or drag shows on public property or in any venue where they're accessible to minors. Mm -hmm. You know, so every cafe is accessible to minors. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So now you have eliminated drag brunch statewide, one fell swoop. Because what cafe is going to risk their insurance? to host a drag knowing that their venue is accessible to minors. You okay. know what I mean? And it's like, I, I think that the self-policing and the uh, aversion, you know, what this bill does is it so effectively will silence or it'll cause people to overreact and mm -hmm. uh, blow it up out of proportion. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Where two months ago, people were doing a drag brunch having a good time, getting about their business, mm -hmm. nothing ever came of it. But now with this mm -hmm. legal environment, it's a, you know, it's a fight for your rights and a fight to the death. You know, it's the children. It's the, you know, it seems to be just really roiled up. I don't know. I just, I, I see, I get the sense that you're not seeing the same risks here, but I think what we can already see elsewhere is that mm -hmm. this is having a huge chilling effect. It is. Uh, and I, part of it is people on, uh, on either side of the debate misinterpreting the laws that are being out there. So there are p places being rated based on misunderstandings of these laws. So, I mean, you could have, there have been a couple incidents of drag performances that were not unfriendly to children. There were no, you know, they're just basically reading Goodnight Moon 
in a library. They weren't even reading any kind of LGBT book. They were just, you know, someone in drag who went through a security check. They have no shady background. They're there dressed like your auntie who lives next door in a, a, a white and red polka dot dress. Nothing fancy going on. And then people that then they get raided based on a misinterpretation of that state's new law. So there has been that happening as well. People misinterpreting the laws that are on the books. And I don't know, it, it's kind of all over the place, the mix of things. I, I'm also seeing a lot of people saying just things like um, drag is not the apex of LGBT culture. It is not. It's something that's in the culture, but it's not everything. Why are we choosing this as our battleground? But I think it depends on, again, which state you're looking at. And some of them, it is being used as sort of a Trojan horse to get at other things, such as shutting down bars. So, I mean, it is so complicated. I, I Talking about the whole thing as one singular phenomenon, especially when you get into the South, where, I mean, the American South is a, a strange and colorful place as it is. Um, and every state seems to be coming up with different laws, applying them inconsistently and applying them differently. It's it's really weird. Uh, but somewhere that is uh, also applying uh, weird laws weirdly is uh, parts of inland eastern Africa where they have new laws in what was it? Which one are you talking about? We we talked about this before the show. I would, no, I'm I've been looking at Asia. I thought I was going to pivot to Taiwan, but I didn't oh. realize that you were going. Uh, <laughs> I, I was trying to segue. Yeah. Well, there was to Africa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, are you referring to Namibia? Well, there, yeah, there is the story out of Namibia as well, but uh, it wasn't Uganda. We were talking before the show, and you were saying was that it there Guyana. Was... Guyana, that's right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. They gained yes. independence in 1966. Yeah. But they're looking at uh, removing uh, one of their former colonial laws that prohibits, um, well, it criminalizes consensual same-sex physical intimacy, uh, mm -hmm. or what were colloquially known at the time as the buggery laws, mm -hmm. uh, which was the name uh, very often of the text itself. Uh, yeah, I believe that they're in the works of pulling it. You know, and I think this is one of the good news pieces that we mm -hmm. do see the world sort of moving forward at different speeds in different places. Mm -hmm. You know, Taiwan just rolled out changes to their, uh, I think it was a, a court decision, now allowing same-sex couples to adopt uh, children that they're not related to, directly related to. Mm -hmm. So effectively opening up same-sex adoption in Taiwan, which is huge mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. Taiwanese people. Um, but yeah, so we see a lot of different good news stories. Like I think the Supreme Court in Nepal is demanding that uh, the government take some action around access to marriage. Mm -hmm. um, and I believe that last week we mentioned Sri Lanka's Supreme, Sri Lanka's Supreme Court decisions as well. So yeah, they all they all add up. And I think when taken as a whole, perhaps the world is moving slightly forward in 2023. But yeah, I don't know when we see the amount of attention and the amount of fear-mongering coming out of places like Florida, for example, yeah, yeah, um, it's hard to have any kind of uh, rosy outlook. Well, I mean, they're, they're... <laughs> the most interesting ones are the news reports where people are basically summarizing by saying, it's not great, but everyone needs to chill. It's not that bad either. We're not being rounded up and thrown into jail. Like, calm down. We're, we're dealing with it. You know, the... Fear-mongering is only going to make things worse. There have been a lot of uh, calls to 
keep a cooler temperature, let's say. Mm. Um, because if anything else, you're not going to achieve anything if you're freaking out all the time. You know, panic doesn't help anyone. No, well, we are uh, definitely keeping an eye on all of these things uh, Mm -hmm. moving forward. Um, I think that's all the news that I I had uh, jotted down. Um, I don't think there's a huge amount happening domestically. It was Ida Hobbit. Ida Hobbit? Ida Hobbit, which is, I think, the best version of this particular thing. Last week, we didn't get around, we didn't mention it. But it was the International Day Against uh, Transphobia homophobia, biphobia, um, oh, they, it spells out either Hobbit. Is, okay. Is the full acronym. You know, back in, you know, do you remember when it was like the gay day against homophobia and then then it was either, either hot and then it was either whole, then it was I hop briefly mm. and then it's, you know, it's, you know, I'm a gay man and I can't keep up with this, with the, with the acronym changes. Mm-hmm. So Ida Hobbit is where I've landed now. Um, and I think, look, I have to Google it, what the full... Uh, the, have you the, heard Ida Hobbit yet? The International Day Against Bad Things. Just uh, uh, the 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 International Day Against Being Mean. Let, let's just roll with that. But I think I is um, Introphobia. No, I've got... It's here. It's the International Day Against Homophobia, Biphobia, and Transphobia. I the Hobbit. Okay. <laughs> oh, the the bi is is bisexual, not like b and then an i. Yeah, yeah. So it should okay. be a lowercase i, really. Okay. But whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I the Hobbit. Like that's. I don't know. It's yeah. It's good. We yeah. We missed it. We missed the I the Hobbit. But uh-huh. a lot of companies released um their pride collections as well. So like Adidas. Pretty busy. Pretty busy week. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about yourself? Any other news that we may have missed? Uh, nothing Nothing of particular interest. Just a little thing that the Japanese diet on the list of, of uh, countries that are working things out, the diet being the Japanese parliament, they are looking at kind of a Napoleonic style, like any law should apply to everyone. So they're actually going to bring in gay rights through that method they're they're still hotly debating a few things to do with uh workplace rights but they are coming at it through actually the same path that most of south america did it of uh whatever laws we apply we should apply them consistently and that that that's a very japanese way of doing it and i'm all about countries modernizing in their own way so i'm i'm into it very small well i know that japan was under a lot of pressure from the rest of the g7 recently um including i believe both biden and justin trudeau mm-hmm. uh making comments about uh japan's role in also leading on social issues such as mm-hmm. access to equal rights for trans folks being the only g7 country mm-hmm. uh that doesn't have uh the same equal protections as other countries so yeah japan was certainly under pressure recently so Nothing- this this communication from the diet is uh, definitely not a surprise. Yeah, it's really interesting because they have nothing official on the books. But if you look at their human rights track record, they're not doing poorly. They just don't have anything official on the books. It's like police have been pretty good to people in Japan because the police are well-trained and generally friendly, not because they're actually being mandated to engage in, in you know proper human rights treatments for people. So, I mean... Good job if you train your police well, I suppose. But yeah, no, I I see what you're saying. Yeah. 
Well, I think that that is quite, I believe that's all we have time for. We are mm-hmm. going to be playing out with the last track of the day, mm-hmm. which is the one that won. It yes. won Eurovision, spoiler alert. But uh, for many of you, you may not hear it otherwise. Now, Loreen had won before. Yes. So Sweden pulled, uh, held none of their punches, sending in a previous winner in an attempt to, uh, to you know, tempt fate twice. Um, you checked out the track, Euphoria, the 2012 entry. Do you recall this particular track? I I somewhat do. Uh, I don't remember watching the entire grand final in 2012, but I have seen a lot of clips of it, and uh, it makes all the lists of uh, Eurovision winners that people actually like instead of being, you know, the Eurovision winners that the judges picked and the audience were like them. Um, so, although I do think the audience, the judges picked Sweden, I think the the audience vote was really going for Cha Cha Cha, yeah, and Finland. Um, but it was this was the the audience was not mad at it. I think no, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah, think yeah. I think they uh, I think to two, which is the name of the song. I think it either got second or third for the audience vote. So they, yeah, no, the audience wasn't unhappy, but it was they were gunning for cha cha cha. But yeah, they they seemed okay with the fact that Loreen won. We are playing out with Loreen's tattoo. I've been Smith, and I've been Sebastian, and thank you for listening.
Melt your heart of gold at your fingertips. All my fears are gone. Could it be where? your heart of gold at your fingertips all my fears are gone could it be where